Hey, good morning, Grant. It's Pastor Rob. It is so incredible to see you today. I want to start with a story about a guy called that some have called the polite burglar. I was reading this article the other day about a guy in 2015 in the state of Florida. His name was Jonathan Johnson. I know somebody by that name as well, but not the same guy. <laughs> and he was caught while robbing someone's house. He was about 20 years old at the time. And when he was caught, he was caught by a young lady who lived at the house with her boyfriend. And she walked around the corner and found him rummaging through all of her stuff and all of his stuff and stealing things. And she screamed and said, I'm going to call 911 right now. Now, if we were taking bets, which I don't do, but if we were taking bets on how he was going to respond, I'm thinking one of two things. One, runs like the wind, right? Tries to get out of there as fast as he can because he's been discovered, or fights, right? Tries to do her harm in order to stop her from calling the police so he can get away that way. But this guy doesn't. He doesn't. He just stops and allows her to call the police. And while the police are on their way, he actually repairs the screen that he broke out, that he ripped out in order to get into the house. So he repairs the damage. He puts everything back where he got it from. And he just waits for the police to get there. When the police asked him why he was doing that, he said, uh, I was trying to to um, take some things and sell it and raise some money for Christmas presents for my kids. But <laughs> this seems a little counterproductive as a thief, right? The idea of just kind of hanging out and, and waiting for the police to show up. There was even a time when he was getting ready to leave. The police were getting ready to take him away. And the young lady re re remembered that she was missing $260. So she knocked on the window and said, dude, where's my 260 bucks? And he goes, oh yeah, I forgot to give that to you. And, <laughs> and they get it out of his pocket for her and give it back to her. It's just crazy. That's not a good business model if you're a thief. I mean, I'm not a thief, but I'm thinking it, giving back everything you've taken, stopping and letting the police catch you. I'm thinking, number one, it's going to be the opposite of the goal that you're trying to achieve. And number two, it's probably going to mean jail time, and it did in Jonathan Johnson's case. The truth is, that is an unusual response. And if you look that up on the internet and look for regular occurrences of stories like that, you're, you're not going to find very many because it's not normal. The notion of giving back all that he had ever taken, ever, for a thief or for someone dishonest, you would never expect that, ever. That said, the story we're going to look at in the Gospel of Luke today, and it's another story that's unique to his Gospel, is exactly that. It's someone giving back all that they had ever taken, or at least trying to give back all that they had ever taken, and giving back so much more on top of it. The story is out of Luke chapter 19, it's verses 1 through 10, and it's the story of Zacchaeus. Read along with me, I'm going to read out of Luke 19, 1 through 10, I'm going to read out of the CSB. It says this, He, that would be Jesus, entered Jericho passing through, and was passing through. There was a, a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but he was not able because of the crowd since he was a short man. So running ahead, he climbed up a sycamore tree to see Jesus, and since he was about to pass that way, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, 
hurry and come down because today it is necessary for me to stay at your house. So he quickly came down and welcomed him joyfully. All who saw began to complain, he's gonna stay with a sinful man. But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, look, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor, Lord, and, I, and if I have extorted anything from anyone, I will pay it back four times as much. Today, salvation has come to this house, Jesus told him, because he too is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. If you've spent any time in church or grew up in church, you hear, you've heard about Zacchaeus. Sometimes there's a song, Zacchaeus, a wee little man, right? And I clearly, as a short guy, identify with the need to climb up on a tree or find a different vantage point to see over the crowd because there are times when I need all the help I'm gonna, I can get if I'm going to see something. So what we learn about Zacchaeus is a few things. One, he lived in Jericho. It's, it's a wealthy, wealthy town of influence. It's, strategically, it's very important uh, because it controlled the approach to Jerusalem and also the crossing of the Jordan. There was a lot of money moving in and through Jericho, and so, of course, the Romans were happy to tax it, right? <laughs> happy to, aren't governments just happy to tax money where they can find it? That's just the way it works, and there is a reason why uh, we say there are two certainties in the world, death and taxes. Taxes have been around for a very, very long time. It's just a reality for us. But we find out also that Zacchaeus is the chief tact tax collector in this wealthy area of Jericho, this, this crux of commerce. And that's interesting. That's, that, that's a prestigious role to be assigned to. It's not something that just any old average tax collector gets. gets. It's the good ones or the ones with a whole lot of influence. You see, these roles are sold. The Roman government puts out a call and says, hey, who would like to buy the opportunity to be the tax collector? And we think that's crazy. Why would you ever buy an opportunity to take a job, right? But the truth is, if you can pay the Romans money to take the job, then the Romans are only expecting you to collect the tax rate that they set before you, and they very much looked the other way if you decided to make it more lucrative for yourself, right? As long as the Romans get theirs, you can do whatever you want. And so the notion of paying for that role meant that the rich the ones who were able to afford to pay the Roman government the most money, were able to get richer. They were able to quickly make back the money they had invested by paying off the government and a whole lot more on top of it. They were a burden onto the people. And it's no wonder that the people of God called them sinners and tax collectors. We see that said repeatedly, right? Repeatedly throughout the scriptures that that they are classified as a special kind of sinner <laughs> in some ways um, because th they are doing something especially um, horrid in the eyes of the people of God. Last but not least, though, we learn about Zacchaeus that he wanted to see Jesus. And when he wanted to see Jesus, we find him not in a synagogue. He didn't go to the synagogue to find him. He found him as Jesus was passing by his place of business or his home, probably his house, given the context here. But he saw Jesus coming by and he, he says, I'm going to take this opportunity. And he would have been the guy that nobody would have picked to take this opportunity. And so he just makes the most of it. 
And I think this is important as his church for us. There's, there's a lesson here that there are those in our daily lives that are in fact seeking Jesus. They may not even be able to name him yet, but they're seeking something. They know that the, what this world has right in front of them is not everything or they're at least hoping that it couldn't be, that there's something more, that there are sins that they've done, regrets that they have, or just the brokenness of the world that we live in, right? All the the chaos and the insanity that seems to happen around us and the horrible things that happen to people over and over and over again. They're looking, they know that. The thing is, those are the people in our day-to-day lives that we, that Jesus connected with and that we are to connect with too, to make his presence known. So often, though, we kind of just wait for them to show up at church and say, think, say to ourselves, you know what, uh, they're probably not interest, interested in our current culture. They probably just don't even want to hear it. I'm going to wait till they show up, and at least that way, I know they're interested. When the truth is, Jesus didn't always, in fact, didn't often wait for people to show up at the synagogue in order to preach the gospel to them. He did it as he went. And yes, people came to him, but in the case of Zacchaeus, He just happens to be there, right? We see that it is Jesus who reached out to him first. And that's important. Who is seeking who in this story? Zacchaeus is clearly seeking Jesus, but Jesus is also seeking him. He knows, looking at him, he knows his name already. He knows who he is. He knows what his role is. And he says, I'm here to seek you. I must eat dinner with you tonight. I have to. It's a requirement that I come to your home today for him. It's almost this this drive that, that he wouldn't ever dare look away from. I have to engage with you. And, and so Jesus walks straight through the crowds and past everyone else and to Zacchaeus in that tree, right? It doesn't say that he stopped and paused and did 12 other things. It's like he made this beeline. Can you imagine that? That the savior of the world is walking by and just kind of whips their head around and makes a beeline to you. Number one, that might feel a little creepy. I would assume I had done something wrong. <laughs> but wouldn't it just be crazy on top of that? And so Jesus has done just that. And he says, Zacchaeus, hurry. He's got this sense of urgency. Hurry and come down because today, not tomorrow, not next week, it is necessary for me to stay at your house. This sense of urgency and and to walk into his house, this place that you have made for yourself. I'm coming into your world. I'm not waiting for you to come into mine. I am here, yes, but I'm coming into your world. And this is exactly what it means for Jesus to seek and save the lost. It's kind of like a lifeguard who's rescuing someone who's drowning, seeking and finding and saving them. And only Jesus can do that for our souls, but but he has to go and do. And Zacchaeus's immediate response here, right? It says, so he quickly came, verse six, he quickly came down and welcomed him joyfully. It's like a kid on Christmas, you know, Um, when your mom kind of pokes the kid and says, hey, it's time to get up. It's Christmas morning. The kid gets super excited and comes flying down the steps. He's got this, at least I did. We had steps in my house. So I guess I did. (laughs) But we had this crazy nervous anticipation, right, of, of what was about to come. Can you imagine Zacchaeus, right? He's heard the stories of Jesus. He's heard the stories of this, this man who is 
healing people, this man who is forgiving sins, this man who is claiming to be and is, we know now, but is claiming to be the Messiah, the Son of God, something very different from a normal human being and set apart from, frankly, all the other people who declared themselves Messiah in the preceding 400 years. And if you want more information on that, go back to one of our other ones in this series really, really early on, the first one, I believe, maybe the second. But, but, they, but here he is, how much more excited and nervous and anticipative, anticipative, is that a word? That he, that he has because this is the Messiah right, right in front of him. And he comes quickly. He responds to the call without hesitation. As as his people, I, I wonder, you know, I expect those who don't know God to hesitate. Zacchaeus clearly doesn't. He sees past that fear and past that hesitation. He simply goes, right? Goes where Jesus calls him to do. But as the people of God, I wonder, do we, right? Do we, when Jesus calls us, when he presents an opportunity for us to be his hands and feet in the world, or an opportunity as we're passing by somebody in our daily lives to to tell them who Jesus is or to show them what it means to be a follower of Christ and why that is that fundamentally matters right that that love that is God matters in this world and is necessary in this world and is quantitatively different do we approach those like kids on Christmas day like this this anticipation of yes we can do it or do we approach it like kids getting ready for school that day <laughs> We've had this chronic challenge with one of ours. He misses the bus on a pretty regular basis because he's just not too excited to get up and get ready and go to school. And guess what? Most kids are not. So when Jesus calls us, are we kids on Christmas or are we kids getting ready for school? And there's a a marked difference there in the positions of our hearts and what it says about us and our connection to God. And most importantly, what it says about him because we are excited about the things that we believe to be necessary and valuable we see that Zacchaeus also welcomes him joyfully even if he doesn't know yet what that totally means and that is so much an example that we need to follow as his people because remember Zacchaeus though he is not um, a follower of, of Christ yet he is Jewish he is a member of God's people at that time. Admittedly, a member on the fringe, a member who is looked down upon. He's in that special category of sinning tax collectors, right? That special category they put him in. But yet he says, look, I'm here. The opportunity is present. I'm taking it. I believe we should, as the body of Christ, individually and corporately, if we have opportunities to tell people who Jesus is, to make a practical, tangible difference in our world and our communities, instead of hesitating, we need to take it. We need to be more courageous and braver, even if we don't fully yet know what that means. That may mean putting aside something we were planning on doing already. That may mean looking past our fears. Notice I didn't say get rid of them because it's just not that simple. But to say, you know what, there may be somebody in my life who is seeking. Have I closed myself off to that? Have I avoided talking about it? Have I just assumed that they won't? When the fact is, they may be. And we just don't know it because we haven't taken the time to embrace the call that Jesus has on our daily lives, which, frankly, is to be on mission for him. Everyone else's response, though, all the other onlookers, most of which are likely Jewish, although they don't have to be, 
they, they respond horribly, right? It says they began to complain. It's verse seven. It says they began to complain and say, he's going to stay with that sinful guy. It's like, it's how dare he do such a thing? Zacchaeus is persona non grata, right? He's unacceptable and unwelcome in common circles. And most of the people, you couldn't pay them enough to eat with him because what others might say about them about them afterwards, if they found out that he had eaten with Zacchaeus or you and I or our families had eaten with a guy like that, people are going to ask questions. They're going to whisper in ears. They're going to start rumors and they're going to wonder, who, who are you? Right? And are you really worth anything? Because this guy you've just eaten with is irredeemable. And you, by association, are somehow irredeemable in some way, shape, or form. Truth is, this is a typical response. If we look at Luke chapter 15, uh, there are three stories we see there that are very, very similar and designed to convey the same messages. The story of the lost sheep, then the lost coin, and the lost son. But at the very beginning of that chapter, it says all the tax collectors and sinners were, there they are again, right? The separate group were approaching to listen to him and the Pharisees were and scribes were doing something. They were complaining. This is the people of God complaining because Jesus dare, dare, to minister to people that don't fit their paradigm, that don't fit what they think they should be. He's reaching out to the least of these. So why do you think that they would respond that way? Why do you think that they would immediately out of the gate start complaining and discrediting and making making it a thing, right? Ostracizing Jesus and his disciples and everybody else and just saying, how dare he do that, right? There was certainly certainly a desire to, to discredit Jesus, especially among the Pharisees. Um, their desire was to downplay who Jesus was. I mean, you're, if you're coming to, to claim to be the Messiah, you're claiming to save God's people and to take them into a new world. And, and if that means he's here and God is present and the Messiah is present, that means he's in charge and the Pharisees aren't. And that is certainly something they didn't want to give up because they had a very clear idea of how they wanted things to go what they were doing was working for them, right? They had the control over their situation. Some of them had power, some of them had money. It was working well for them. Why are we disrupting this right now? Why are you messing with it? So discrediting Jesus by saying, look, look what he does. Look, look how he hangs out with those people that aren't worth a nickel to us or who are against us, right? The tax collectors, they're, how dare he? The idea was to destroy his reputation. Some of it, I think, is jealousy. I think it's this idea that if the Messiah was going to show up, why would he talk to that guy? Why would he talk to Zacchaeus? Why would he talk to tax collectors and sinners? Why would he talk to women in the street who were bleeding? And and why would he go deal with demon-possessed men? Why wouldn't he come talk to us? Jesus would show up and talk to us, right? I mean, if that's the Messiah, that's the one that God has sent. He sent them for us. Remember one of Luke's themes. He's trying to expand this notion of who the Messiah is for. It's beyond just the people of God. This is, this is salvation offered for the world, for everyone who has ever lived and will ever live. That's, that's the idea here is this is an opportunity, 
not just for God's people, but for everybody. And Luke and Jesus here are sending some very clear messages that this is not exclusive to a certain group of people, even if they do already know God and even if they do already call themselves the people of God. Jesus is saying, I am open to and can be the Messiah, not just for you. I am your Messiah as the people of God, yes, but I also want to be the Messiah for all those who are also lost, who are outside of this family of God. And that's really, really hard for them because deep down inside, even though the scriptures teach repeatedly that God has chosen his people, not because they're incredible or amazing, but simply because he has chosen to say, I will love you, I am faithful to you, I am committed to you, I'm calling you to me, right, as my people. They still deep down inside believe that somehow they're intrinsically better, intrinsically more holy. And I, I think the church still, the people of God still, struggle with that sometimes. Um, recognizing, we can say out loud that we are all sinners who have fallen short of the glory of God, but the truth is, we are all sinners, equally in measure. We have all fallen short of the glory of God, equally in measure. And we are so fortunate if we've come to know Jesus and if we've made him our savior, if we have salvation there, it's been given to us and we have an opportunity to renew our lives now and to see forward to an eternity that is purely, utterly, and completely by his grace. It's by no intrinsic value that we have beyond anybody else because every human being carries with them the imago dei, the very image of God in equal quantity. Our job as followers of Christ is to try to be people who are allowing God to pull that out of us, sometimes despite ourselves. Jesus breaks their paradigm, and because he broke their paradigm or broke the way they wanted to do things or threatened their control, they're looking for every opportunity they can to downplay what he's doing and discredit it, maybe really for their own sake. Some of them may not even realize they're doing it. And then Zacchaeus reacts differently. He reacts like the polite burglar, right? In verse eight, he says, but Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, look, I'll give back half, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor. Everything I, of everything I have, I'll give half of it away right now, right off the top. And Lord, and if I have extorted anything from anyone, I will pay it back four times as much. He's willing to not just give back what he might have taken, he's fixing the screen as the polite burglar did. He's trying to undo everything that he might have done and a little more. Time for your trouble. I shouldn't have done that to you. Talk about owning what he's done in the past. He's owned it and said, I need to do my best to make restitution for this. He's gone from lost to found. And, and the two ways that he responds are to change moving forward, right? Giving up half of what he has is to say, I will live a lesser life now and moving forward, but also to try to make right the past. You know, as followers of Jesus, I think we embrace the first, right? Moving forward into a new creation, but not always the second, as Zacchaeus did. I mean, you can't, you can't always fix your past because as we talked about last week, you can't turn back time. 
You can't unsay or undo something that you said or did and shouldn't have. And you can't go back and say and do something you wish you had. It just doesn't work that way. But it does mean that you can, if you have opportunity, at least try to make a difference. Try to mend fences. We can go back and apologize to someone that we've hurt or someone that we've wronged. We can go back and forgive and, and release the resentment or the anger because those are our sins that we carry with us if we have not forgiven someone to release the resentment or anger that we are holding on to. We can go back and say, no, we need to stop that. I need to, I need to let that go. Anything I've brought with me, baggage I've brought with me. We can go back and repair and reconcile relationships in so much as we can. If there's, again, if there's someone you've hurt or done something wrong to, it's okay to go back. In fact, Zacchaeus's example is, I will go back and try to, and try to fix it. So often we wanna sweep that away, but think about what that says about who our God is. If we are responding in such a way that we say, you know what, we know we are forgiven, yes, and we are moving forward, changed and different, a new creation, but we also recognize, I want you to see that God. I want you to see that salvation. And, and if I've done something that's gonna get in the way of that, I want you to know I'm a different person and I want you to know I am sorry for what I did. Imagine, imagine, how their understanding of forgiveness can grow and flourish differently if you're willing to go back and try to make amends. Again, to the best of your ability, you cannot undo everything you did because you can't turn back time. In doing so, we allow God's grace to ensure that our past doesn't dictate our future. It allows us to truly be changed. And and so what I would ask this week is as you're, as you're considering what God is calling you to right now, ask yourself this, are there opportunities you have in your life to try to make amends? Are there opportunities in, in relationships or financially or whatever the case may be? Because Zacchaeus's issue was he was stealing from people. He was burdening people. He was against God's people. And he had to go back and chose to go back and fix that. Are there opportunities for you and I to do that? Can we go back and try to apologize to people that we've hurt or we've wronged? Can we go back and try to, to resolve a situation or, or maybe even pay restitution if that's what that means? I mean, that's between you and God to think through and consider. And, and I, I only know what I've done in life. I don't know what anyone else has. But Zacchaeus's example here is to not just try to sweep it under the rug. It's to try to fix it. Just as Jesus choosing to die on the cross fixes us. It fixes all of the sins we've ever committed and it fixes all of the sins we will ever commit because unless you are unbelievably amazing, I've not yet let me, yet met the person who immediately transformed in the image of Christ as soon as they took him on as their savior. Um, this is a process, right? So we're going to continue to make mistakes. Our hope and our prayer for focusing on Jesus is to make fewer of them as we go. And Jesus, though, Jesus' response here, right? It says, and Jesus declares, this is verse 9 and 10, today salvation has come to this house, Jesus told him, because he too is a son of Abraham. Remember, you are one of my children, right? You too carry with you the image of God. 
using the term the son of Abraham is really about connecting with the Jewish people then. We talked about that a little bit last week too. Remembering that that would, that would have been the connection to God, the identifier of who is godly, right? Who is righteous before God was Abraham because it's pre the existence of the Savior who, hasn't, who has yet here to have died, been buried, and resurrected. He says, for the son of man has come to seek and save the lost. Isn't that incredible? His mission, he says right out of the gate, this is why I'm here. And, and, and I'm, I have an opportunity to do that and I'm taking it because you are jumping all over it. This is Jesus's typical response. Remember the, the, the people of God were complaining, but Jesus's typical response was to do just that. If we go back to Luke chapter 15 and those three stories, right? The lost sheep, the coin, and the, and the son, we see in chapter 15, verses six and seven, it says, rejoice with me. Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. And I tell you in the same way, there'll be more joy in heaven over one sinner. One might say a tax collector and sinner, but over one sinner who repents that over 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. He says, look, rejoice with me. If someone is coming to me, I'm ex unbelievably excited about this. Let's run with it. Let's go rejoice with me. He invites them. And again, with the coin, he uses that same phrasing. He says in, in chapter 15, verses 9 and 10, he says, rejoice with me because I have found the silver coin I lost. This person of value has been missing. I have found it. Yes, let's go. And then he says, I tell you in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. Think about that. Just as Zacchaeus is living that out in our story today, he's saying, look, I, I, I've come to repent. I've come to make amends. I've come to, to try to do this differently moving forward. And Jesus is reacting with joy, both with Zacchaeus. He's saying today, yes, today, in the moment you've chosen to do that, salvation has come to you and to this house, not just to you individually, but it's, it's starting to come to this house. It's permeating those around you. This Jesus is excited here, and he's excited in Luke chapter 15 as we're reading too. Rejoice, rejoice. And then when the sun comes back in verses 23 and 24, he said, let's celebrate. Let's celebrate with a feast. Jesus is ready to have a party, and he's claiming that all the heavens are also having a party at the idea that one person has chosen to say, I will follow you. And he's inviting us to do the same thing. This is what excites Jesus, seeking and saving the lost. This is what fires him up. And this is why he does what he's done. This is why he died on the cross, something we're gonna remember here in the next coming weeks as we move through our Easter season. This is why he came to the world. This is why the plan was laid in place before time. This is it. This is why he created the church. This is what it is all about, seeking and saving the lost. And you know what? He has humbly allowed us to be a part of it. His call upon us is is that we be excited about that too. That we see that as our mission and our purpose and our meaning, maybe more than anything else. Because if we truly love God and love others, right? Love our neighbors as we love ourselves, the two greatest commandments, are we not excited about the same things that he is excited about? Our call as the people of God 
is to show others with each and every moment we have. And no, none of us are perfect at that. We're going to mess up. But we have to be, we have to be actively willing to engage in opportunities because when Jesus passes by and says, these people are in your life, you have an opportunity. Or when somebody passes by, we need to be saying to ourselves, I might be the opportunity for them to know my savior. Embrace it, jump in, run, because when that happens, all of the heavens get excited when someone comes to know Jesus and we should too. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and he be gracious to you. May he grant you favor and may he give you peace. God bless.